0: If you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you do, please turn to Exodus chapter 10, Exodus chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, we have Bibles for you. You're welcome to take with you. Keep it. Own it. Write your name in it. We want everybody to be able to have possession of a Bible. The Lord uses the Bible and a lot of these stories, not just to be something that we've heard about. We've heard in Sunday school or maybe at Bible diggers and to hear about and think, hey, that's a great story. The Lord says these serve as examples for us that we would not make the same mistakes that would lead us towards Jesus and that we would keep our eyes on him. So today, as we come back to the story of the Exodus or what is just before the Exodus, again, we're asking the Lord to remind us, well, what is he saying to us in this as well? How do we keep our eyes on Jesus, even though we're talking about the Old Testament thousands of years before Jesus? So in this so far. The Israelites need to be rescued. They've been in slavery and God had uh, raised up a leader, Moses, to go in and to say to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, let God's people go. And Pharaoh, time and time again, his heart is hardened. It, God has a part in that as well, because God is keeping him stubborn and making sure that it's not Pharaoh who's rescuing the people. It's not Pharaoh out of his graciousness. It's actually Pharaoh and his stubborn and sinfulness that continues to want to keep them in slavery And so God is causing a divide, saying, I am God, and there is no other. There are no other gods in Egypt. There is no other ruler, not even Pharaoh himself, who can come and meet me with my power, can meet me with my goodness, can meet me with the deliverance of my people. And so we've seen over the course last week of eight plagues, some really awful plagues, where the Nile River was turned to blood, where flies... And all kinds of locusts came on the land, hail came, there was sickness in the livestock. I mean, it was just so much just ravaged the land. What well, we saw a lot of that was that God was going after the powers of Egypt. Everything the Egyptians said, hey, you know what? We could put our trust in these things. We could put our trust in our crops. We can put our trust in the Nile River, which was a natural resource engine for their agriculture. We put our trust in those things and the gods which oversee those. God just says, no, you don't. And wiped them out. So over the course of this season, which would have lasted from probably January in through all the way maybe to May, if you look at some of the things that are going on there, that's where scholars kind of put this. These plagues are going on all through that time, and their land has just been ravaged. If you can imagine Johnston County being an agricultural place, just the crops and the river and the the cattle and everything just being obliterated, that's Egypt. They've got nothing. There's nothing left to stand on. And even the people of Egypt at this time are saying, you know what? We think this God is real. I think we should respect the Israelites. We're staying out of this one. But Pharaoh, no, his heart is hard. He continues to refuse. And God's doing this in order to show that he is God and there is no other. He is God and there is no other. So we come to the last two plagues and uh, the ninth plague and then also the tenth plague, which will kind of take place over the next couple chapters but we'll start digging into that so if you would with me exodus chapter 10 and we'll start in verse 21 this morning it says in verse 21 then the lord said to moses stretch out your hand toward the heaven that there may be darkness over the land of egypt a darkness to be felt so moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of egypt three days They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. So God brings darkness on the land. And it's only where the Egyptians are. Remember, the Israelites were in another area where they lived, called Goshen. And God only caused darkness to come where the Israelites were, but kept light for the, or for the Israelites. It was so bad the Egyptians couldn't even get out of bed. They'd run into each other. They just couldn't go. Um, it could have been that God had allowed one of these dust storms that they have over there to come and cause the darkness only to be isolated in that place. They last for about three days and really shuts down a place. Um, if you've ever seen the pictures of dust storms that come across the place, I saw one out of Phoenix one time, and there were some people having a baseball game And this just amazing dust storm was coming on them. It was like, run, kids, run with your balls and bats. Get out of there. It was just absolute darkness coming upon them. So it could have been something like that. Or it was just God putting his hand as a shadow over the sun, but only for the Egyptians. It was so dark, so dark. It says that they could feel it. It was so oppressive that they could feel it all around them. And so it is such an eerie feeling. It says in verse 24, Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, you must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord, our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. for on the day that you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. So. Pharaoh's like, I'll let you go. All your people can go. You've been crying to get all your people out of here, but you've got to keep the livestock behind. Moses says, no, we've got to take all of our stuff with us, especially these animals, because who knows what kind of sacrifices we're going to need to make in the wilderness. We've all got to go. Pharaoh says, no. His heart is hard. Nope, you won't go. And in fact, Moses, I'm so sick and tired of you. If I ever see your face again, you're dead. You're dead, Moses. And so Moses is like, all right, that's what you say. That's what's going to happen. We'll see what happens. The Lord said to Moses, this chapter 11, verse one, the Lord said to Moses. Yet one more plague, uh, one, one plague more, I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they may ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of his neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So the 10th plague had come. Moses goes in. He's about to leave. But the Lord stops him and says, you've got to say this one more thing to Pharaoh. I'm bringing one more plague. I'm going to kill off the firstborn, everybody. Uh, but first, here's what you need to do. Have all the Israelites go ask their neighbors for all their jewelry. Go get their gold and get their silver. And we're going to plunder Egypt. And in fact, way back, this had been promised. I'm going, to, I'm going to head back real fast to Genesis chapter 15. Generations before, when God had made making the promise, this covenant with Abraham, he had said, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this nation. I'm going to, I'm going to provide for you all these things. But he said this as part of the promise as what would happen. I'm going to start reading in Genesis 15, verse 13, verse 13. It says, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve. And afterwards, what it say, they shall come out with great possessions. So. This is telling the people what God is having him say is I'm fulfilling my promise to Abraham. I said that they would be in this country. They'd be oppressed 400 years, but I would rescue them. I would bring judgment on the nation that's oppressing them and they will come out with great possessions. How did that happen? God told all the Israelites, go to your neighbors and get their jewelry. Later on, we find out that the Egyptians said, here, here you go. They just gave it over to them. So when Israel left Egypt, they took all everything of value with them. They went out in the desert with gold and silver. Now, they couldn't buy anything out there, but the Lord was loading them up and plundering Egypt, removing all the value out of Egypt. He'd already did it with their crops, with their river, with everything. And now he's doing it with the plundering of Egypt. Well, going on in verse four of chapter 11. So so Moses said. Thus says the Lord. About midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And all these, your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses. Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let. People of Israel go out of his land. So, the last plague that's spoken to Pharaoh is all the firstborn are going to die from your son all the way down to the slave girl's son, and even all the cattle. Every firstborn thing in the land is going to die. Why? Because God is saying, I'm letting my people go, and I'm making a distinction between my people and those who are not my people. And I'm multiplying this so that I will be elevated up and above Egypt and Pharaoh. Now, part of that is to recognize what Pharaoh was seen as. Pharaoh was pretty much like a god. In fact, he was known to have attributed to him a divine father. That divine father's name was Amon re Amon re he was in charge of the sun. He was the national god of Egypt, and he was in charge of the sun. So with the ninth plague, God says, I am darkening the sun. I am putting a darkness over the father of Pharaoh. But when Pharaoh did not give in, he comes in with this 10th plague and says, Pharaoh, if you won't even respond to that. I'm going to take out your firstborn son. and I'm going to take out the firstborn son of everything that's living in so that you will know that I'm God. And he was said, he's not just going to let you go. He's going to drive you out. You won't be anywhere. He's going to drive you out just the same way we drive flies away from the pies. OK, get out of here. He's going to drive them out. So we're going to go through in the next coming weeks what that looked like as God brought that plague. But there's great things, nuggets for us to kind of pull out of this verse and say, well, how does that apply to us? Because right now it doesn't seem like we've got a lot of plagues. So, so what's it have to do with us? One thing I want to bring up is this, is that the ninth plague just before the tenth plague is darkness before the ultimate Judgment of wrath and rescue. What's interesting is we see this repeated as a pattern throughout the Scripture. It's told in the Scripture that as Jesus died, that he's he's there on the cross, and everybody could look at him and visibly see that the Lamb of God was being crucified on the cross. That while he's there for three hours, what was there over the land? Darkness. Total darkness came over the land. There was darkness and then there came wrath. And in the midst of him receiving wrath, that also meant rescue for you and I. God was fulfilling his promise. He was bringing about a rescue and he was bringing about wrath. And just before he brought that wrath, there was darkness. What's interesting is, as you go to the book of Revelation. As it says that there will one day again be God bringing his wrath and also rescue in that moment. Wrath for his enemies, rescue for his people, it says this. That there will be darkness. When you go through and look at the plagues that come in the book of Revelation as the bowls and the trumpets and these things go out just before the wrath comes darkness. God continues to display this and he actually gives us that visible sign in a lot of ways to recognize darkness before light, doesn't he? I think we're in an incredible season as we venture upon the Christmas season, as we reflect on how beautiful light is. And next week, as we decorate this place and we fill it up with a tree and different things, we have beautiful lights. But don't those lights become all the more beautiful when they're casting their brightness out of darkness? Because God brings light. And God has said from the beginning, I want there to be a distinction. I want you to know that from me comes light, come, come from me comes life, and there's nothing else that can give that from you. And so to help us understand how magnificent light is, he also lets us understand darkness. I think it's awesome that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then you get the verse 3 and it says, and God said, let there be light. In the beginning, God said, I want you to know in all my creation that when I'm there, light's there. And that's why the scripture says that God is light. God is light. And so he gives us this season, and I hope and pray that as we go around this season, that we would not just put up our trees and we would not just see the wreaths and and the lights that upcast our, our houses with light. We would not just see those and think. Ribbons and trees and presents and Christmas cookies, those are all delicious but that the light would remind us of Jesus, the distinction of Jesus and how good he is that he suffered in darkness in order to bring us light. I remember the other night Katie and I were driving back. We actually had gone to buy Christmas lights. We didn't have them up yet. We were driving down this this road, Thunder Road, up into into Four Oaks. And as we're driving up and in, I I could look across the pond. And on the other side of the pond uh, is a neighbor of ours whose back of their house uh, is just on the other side of the pond. And I recognize this just after Thanksgiving, but there in their their back living room area was this beautiful lit tree. And you know what made it more beautiful? We had just driven up out of the darkness. We just recognized the contrast. We'd come from a place where our lights weren't working yet. There's nothing around and suddenly, boom, there's this beautiful tree up and reflecting off the pond. And it's just so beautiful when we finally come and see how good the light is. And God says sometimes in these circumstances, in fact, on the way to the cross, you have to understand how awful the cross is and what it meant for our sin to really recognize how awesome the light and the grace of Jesus and his cross is. You have to recognize as we go through these last days that how awful the world can be against Jesus and his gospel and his gospel messengers. When you recognize how awful it can be, then you also recognize how good he is. We often don't see how great the light is. Unless it's contrasted against darkness. In the book of Psalms, we talked of this recently, how the Israelites had these songs, just like we've sung this morning, to remind us of God's goodness. And they would sing them and it would be easy for them to forget about his goodness in these things. But I want to draw our attention to another one of these songs that speaks of these things that happened in the Exodus so that we would be reminded of how good it is towards us. This comes out of Psalm chapter 105. This recounts a lot of the things that happened in the life of Israel. It begins in saying God made promises, a promise to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, and then goes and recounts how faithful he'd been. And then he gets into some of the story that we have seen even today. For instance, look at what it says in Psalm 105, verse 28. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. And so the Israelites were responding to that when he made it dark in Egypt. Then that happened. And look at verse 37. It talks about the plundering that happened. In verse 37 of Psalm 105, it says, "Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold. There was none among his tribes who stumbled. So he was strengthening them. He was actually giving them possessions as they left, just as he promised to Abraham." But I want to go to one more verse, one more verse in this that is really critical for us. And this is verse forty two. Verse forty two, it says, for he remembered his what? His holy promise and Abraham, his servant. God didn't just randomly do these events. He didn't just say, you know, what? I want to pick on Pharaoh right now. He didn't just say, you know what, Israel, come on out to the mountain. We'll have a camp out. What he was saying was I made a promise because I wanted to be in a relationship with Abraham and in that promise I said I would do the work I would rescue you Abraham when your country when your people get into this foreign land I will rescue them I will bring darkness on those who persecute them I will have you plunder those but ultimately I want you to remember that I made you a promise Abraham and I want your people to remember that I made a promise that I will make this relationship work you can't do it yourselves Amen. now we've been talking Nationally, for Israel, and just kind of generally regarding the world and darkness and light, but here 's the thing about the scripture: it never lets us sit on the outside and let everybody else worry about darkness and light we 're not just talking about Egyptians versus israelites we 're not just talking about Jesus versus his contemporary Jewish crucifiers or Roman executioners. The scripture always brings it to us He always god does and his word brings it to us and so i want to take us real quick to first peter first peter chapter two peter who had been a jew who had heard all these stories who had heard about god rescuing israel out of egypt who had heard of the promises made to abraham finally came to know jesus and he came to know jesus not only as a friend not only as a uh, as his teacher, as his rabbi, but also as his Savior, the one who would forgive him, who would actually fulfill the promise made to Abraham and save him as well. But look what he says. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who what? Who called you out of darkness and into his what? His marvelous light. See, it's no longer just about the Israelites and it's no longer just about Jesus on that cross. The fact is, when the gospel comes to us, it says, hey, are you a part of God's people? Because if you're not, you're in trouble. If you're not a part of God's people, what it says is. You're lumped with the Egyptians. You're lumped with those in Babylon. You're lumped with the world and Satan. And so God's wrath will come upon you. Oh, but when God by his love says, but I made a promise. And I'm extending that promise to you, but by the good work that I've done by Jesus, that he would take the wrath for you and you would receive his light. What he also does is this, that he chose you he brings you into his royal priesthood part of the holy nation part of his own people which he said was his what his own possession i love that because what he's saying is this as he brings you out of darkness and into his marvelous light he actually says you are the plunder when jesus was on the cross And he went into the tomb. He went into death. And when he came up out of the grave. He came out bringing people out of darkness. He brought us out of slavery. He brought us out of sin and he brought us out of death. And so Jesus's purpose isn't that he would plunder death for its gold and its silver because he needed to make golden streets in heaven. His opportunity was that his great possession that he plundered was that he would be taking you out of darkness and you out of sin and you out of death so that we would be free and we'd be called into his people. When Jesus plundered death, he was taking you. You are of value to him. He loves you. And yet he sees the wreckage of our lives without him, that we're full of darkness and sin and death. We're not talking about the other people in the world that annoy us. Right now, we're talking about us who in our sin. We deserve nothing but plagues and wrath. But because God made a promise, because he's always faithful, forever, God is faithful, forever, God is strong. He went in and he died for us and he plundered death and he took care of sin and he took care of death and he's pulled you into him and his people. He is delivering you to himself. So we have these stories that serve as patterns where God rescues his people. And we see darkness show up just before wrath. And the hope of God is this is before the pattern sets in again, where it's darkness and then the ultimate wrath, that you would say this God, I proclaim the promise that you made to Abraham. And how was that fulfilled? The scripture says it was fulfilled in Jesus. Amen. So what you're saying is, God, I, I I call upon Jesus to save me. Would you rescue me out of darkness? And would you bring me into your marvelous light? Would you make me a part of your people? Would you save me from my sin and rescue me from my darkness? It's so beautiful. As beautiful as a Christmas light that's gleaming across a pond. Or as beautiful as the tree is that will be stationed here in our church next week. There's nothing that compares to a life that has been rescued out of darkness. That sin paid for and then filled with the absolute light of Jesus. You want to live? Let Jesus plunder you out of darkness. And bring you into himself. He loves you so much. The tenth plague which we get into is this. Is that the firstborn would die. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. What it says is this. Is that God sent his firstborn. He sent his firstborn. Why? Not just because it's a good story. He did it because he loves you. And he wants to fulfill the promise of forgiving you and bringing you into his life.